Marriage is spiritual. There's not a more spiritual concept than that which delineates and describes and really displays for us the very forgiveness of God and the love of God, which is a husband's love for his wife, which is to parallel Christ's love for the church. And then that loving response of submission to that one who lays down their life lovingly for the partner, which is the responsibility and the role of the bride, which is the body of Christ, to submit itself, which is the picture of marriage, a bride laying, a husband laying down his life, a groom, and a bride submitting herself to that loving laying down of one's life. That is what Christ did when he laid down his life on the cross for us. And our response, which should be displayed in our marriages, is for us to submit to that love that laid down its life. Can I get an amen? And we as husbands and wives are given those two roles. Every husband should be laying down his life in love for his wife. And every wife should be submitting to that love that lays down its life by submitting to her husband in the role that the woman plays as the bride in Ephesians, the fifth chapter. That's a very simple thing. Our marriages are a picture of salvation given in love and salvation received in a submissive response. Can I get an amen? Should that be so hard to understand? Yet the world does not get it because no matter how smart you are, no, how, no matter how many uh, educational things that you've been through, it takes a revelation from God. Yesterday I was called by Tamara Scott. She's the uh, National Republican uh, representative for the state of Iowa. And she said, could you have Carly uh, Ferrarina preach in your church tomorrow, give her testimony in your church tomorrow, because she's here in Des Moines tonight at the Faith and Family event. And I said, okay, I need to know what she believes about marriage. I need to know what she believes about abortion. Well, she says, well, she is against abortion, but sometimes, you know, she believes, it's been rumored that she would maybe give in to exceptions like rape. And I says, well, we can't go there. And I said, what about marriage? She says, well, she's all for traditional marriage, but uh, the only problem is that she uh, sometimes has been rumored that she might give in to uh, civic unions. And what are they called? Civic unions? Civil unions, yeah. And so I, I said, no, nope, not from this pulpit. She can't. But David Lane asked me, and, he, and so uh, he says, that here's the purpose, and she, she communicated this, is that we as Christians need to influence them instead of letting them influence us. She says, there's one purpose for her to have her into your church so she, she can let you know where she stands. But the greater purpose is to have people like her in so that we can get her uh, to repent from her wrong position and come in line with the word of God. And let me tell you something, that has happened many times. You know, as Christians, we're not supposed to be just theoreticians who come and listen to a sermon and, and, and everybody agrees with the same ideology, and so we're in a safe place, and we can hear what the pastor teaches. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We need to be active agents of change. And we need, you know, if I can save a, a, a Carly Fiorina who's got degrees from Stanford and MIT and is running for the president of the United States and asking to come to my church to speak, if I can influence her, how many of you know, that's, that may be a greater influence uh, than Joe Blow uh, that lives across the street. Not that Joe Blow is any less important, but let me tell you something. It's important that we influence everybody on every level. Can I get an amen? And that's what God is calling us to do. That's what our church is called to do, is to be an influence in many levels. Let's bow our head. Let's pray. We're going to re uh, just receive God's grace to give a message today. 
and uh, to receive a message. Father, we just ask that you'd give me clarity of mind and articulation of speech and boldness of spirit. Father, to preach your word, which is forever settled in heaven, which is absolute truth and the guiding light and lamp unto our feet. And Father, I pray today that also every person here in this room would have ears to hear it, ears to hear, hearts to receive, and a will to be doers of that word, Father, which will transform them and conform them to your image. And we give you all the praise and all the glory for it. We ask it all in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Well, today I want to talk about five revelations only traditional marriage can give. Marriage is not only what, you know, the Catholic Church calls a sacrament, a a holy thing. But marriage is a revelation. Marriage is a revelation of Christ's love and the church's response. Revealed to us through a husband's love of laying down his life, and a wife's response, which is submission to that love and to that man. And we could talk about that, and we could talk about the Great Commission. And that love produces biological children, but that love of the Great Commission produces spiritual children. When a wife and a husband come together through a husband's loving laying down of his life and a wife's humble submission to that husband joined together in marriage and producing biological children. The same is true when Christ lays down his life and we submit ourselves to that love as the bride of Christ. It produces spiritual children in the Great Commission. Can I get an amen? So two types of children come forth from these two models. And they're both models of marriage. And they're both very profound. And the world doesn't understand hardly a thing about it. And we are the ones who are supposed to be telling them. And it's so messed up now, we are having our Supreme Court judges who have no business whatsoever. Uh, The Constitution was made to protect us from these type of people, not to uh, give them authority over us. And they have no business deciding on this, which is taking place this Tuesday. Let me read to you uh, from the Daily Signal what you need to know about gay marriage in the Supreme Court. There is simply nothing in the U.S. Constitution that requires all 50 states to redefine marriage. Whatever people may think about marriage as a policy matter... Everyone should be able to recognize the Constitution does not settle this question. Unelected judges should not insert their own policy preferences about marriage and then say the Constitution requires them everywhere. The Constitution does just the opposite. The overarching question before the Supreme Court is not whether a male-female marriage policy is the best, but only whether it is allowed by the Constitution. The question is not whether government recognizes same-sex marriage as good or bad policy, but only whether it is required by the Constitution, which it's, it's not. Those suing to overturn male-female marriage laws thus have to prove that a man and woman marriage policy that has existed in the United States throughout the entire history is prohibited by the Constitution, which they can't. And then, as Supreme Court Justice Samuel Leto pointed out two years ago, there are two different visions of what marriage is and what it offers. Let me give you, listen, if you haven't listened to anything else, listen to this very closely. One view is marriage sees, uh, it is is primarily about consenting adult romance and then caregiving. It's all about a couple of selfish people who just want to have their sexual preference and then getting the right to take care of kids. But there's another view of marriage, and here's the biblical view. And this is Samuel Leto saying this, of marriage. It sees it as a union of a man and a woman. 
a husband and wife so that children would have moms and dads. At least he gets that much. Our Constitution is silent on which of these visions is correct. So we the people have constitutional authority to make marriage policy. Let me read another thing, then I I won't take much longer on this. Everyone in this debate is in favor of marriage equality. Everyone wants to see the law treat all marriages in the same ways. The only disagreement our nation faces is over what sort of consenting adult relationship is a marriage. Since the U.S. Constitution doesn't answer that question, the people and their elected representatives should. And they should democratically enact laws and define marriage as a union of man and a woman and husband and wife. And actually, that's not even true because this should not even be up for any government official to make any decision about. Because our rights come from God, and it says so in our Constitution. They are intelligent enough to see that. And it does not come from any judge on a state level or a federal level deciding on the rights of marriage. Because they don't have the authority to bestow those rights. Can I get an amen? So as we see, marriage exists between a man and a woman together as a husband and wife. To be a father and a mother to children and union and that their union produces. Marriage is based on the anthropological truth that men and women are distinctly different and complementary. The biological fact that reproduction depends on a man and a woman and the social reality that children deserve a mother and a father. Marriage is society's best way to ensure the well-being of children. State recognition of marriage protects children by encouraging men and women to commit to each other and to take responsibility for their children. Redefining marriage uh, to make it genderless institution fundamentally changes marriage. It makes the relationship more about desires of adults than needs or rights of children. It teaches that mothers and fathers are interchangeable. Wow, what an absolute perverse way of thinking. So that is why we are for marriage. And today I want to talk to you about the whole issue of marriage. The Supreme Courts are hearing these arguments Tuesday. We're praying Tuesday. We're preaching today because we want you to not just be a theoretician sitting here thinking, oh, I agree with that. We want you to be an active agent of change, and we want you to pray. We want you to talk to people. We want you to influence. We're to be salt and light in the society. And when we stop being that, uh, you can be guaranteed that there will be a vacuum and darkness will take over. We will either have, Washington, D.C. will either protect our morality or they will enforce our enemy's morality on us. Can I get an amen? Because, you know, people say you can't legislate morality. Well, that morality always does get legislated. It's just whether it's uh, a morality of Stalin or the morality of Jesus. I'm going to tell you, morality always gets legislated, folks. Make no mistake. You're naive if you think differently. Either we're going to have a Stalinist type of morality or we're going to have a Christ-like morality. And it's if we choose godly leaders to enact godly laws. And that is so important. Enough about that. We're going to talk about marriage today and the five revelations. And the first revelation that traditional marriage gives us is the revelation of the very image of God itself. Turn with me to Genesis, the first chapter, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. That's at the front of your Bibles. Chapter 1. And God said, let us... See, God is three in one. It's a very amazing thing. You know, God, there's a father, 
there's a son, and there's a Holy Spirit. Did you know in the family there's fathers, there's sons or children, and then there's mothers? And that the very nature of family is a reflection and an image of the very nature of God. God said, let us make man in our image. After our likeness, and let us have dominion, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping. I thought that when I first said that, I thought it said every creepy thing. And that, that would be uh, the agenda of the left. But anyway, over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. In other words, everything that's creepy, we should have authority over. And God created man in his own image. And in the image of God created he him, male and female. Notice it doesn't say that God created man in his. Not his and her. Now this, is, this almost seems contradictory, but it's profound and you have to think. God created man in his. Everybody say his. Image. In the image of God created he him, his, him, male and female, created he them. The image of God is a him, is a he making something in his image, a him, but it's both male and female. Because he said, in the image of God created he him, Two males right there, a he and a him, created he, him, male and female, created he, them. That almost seems like double talk. It almost seems like it's self-contradicting, but it's really not. You have to have a renewed mind. You have to have a revelation. You've got to have understanding from God. I don't care how smart you are. You can't figure out God and say, I'll master understanding God. No, God hides his truths from those whose heart is wrong, and reveals his truths to those whose heart is right. It's a moral condition that will make you understand marriage, not an intellectual attainment. So we've got to understand that this is a revelation. Everybody say, this is a revelation. This understanding marriage, this understanding the image of God, because marriage is the image of God. Where it starts out as a him, and he who finds a good wife finds a good thing. And then it goes to being two. And as you look at that, you can see that here's the image of God is both male and female as one. Satan wants to obscure God's image. How? By same-sex marriage. A male and a male. Well, that perverts God's image. A female and a female. That perverts God's image. A human being and an animal. That perverts God's image. One male and many females, that perverts God's image. One female and many males, that perverts God's image. Everything but what God says will reveal his image to a lost world. And that is one woman and one man. And that is why Satan hates it. And that's why those who are the spirit of Antichrist are doing everything in their power to annihilate traditional marriage. Can I get an amen? Christ is the image of God. Colossians 1.15, it says he is the image of the invisible God. How is Christ the image of God? How is he the image of the invisible God? Colossians 1.15, God and his bride made one. Jesus was all God and all human. Can I get an amen? 
God's bride is human. In the Old Testament, it was God and his bride was Israel. And she was unfaithful. He even had to give her a bill of divorcement. In the New Testament, we've got Christ and his bride, the church. And then you've got God and you've got the human race. And they were brought together in Jesus and called the image of God. Can I get an amen? Now, that isn't one of the most profound things that I've ever noticed in the Bible. That God and his bride become one. And we call that person Christ, Jesus, the God-man. Just like the first Adam had both God, he was a child of God, both male and female. There was a rib named Eve that was already inherent in Adam. And God says, I'm going to make you a helpmate. And here's a man. And he reaches into that man and takes out a component, his rib, which means a support. And he creates a woman. And then he says, now this is not good for you to be alone. Now you go back and become one and be reunited. Everybody say reunited with Adam, Rib. And we're going to call you Miss Rib. We're going to call you Eve. And now you're the image of God because initially in the image of God, man was taken out of God and and then man is reunited to God, his bride. Adam had a rib taken out of him as Eve and reunited to him. And as one, they make the image of God. Those are profound things, and a simpleton will never understand it. A worldly person with an unrenewed mind will never understand it. They'll never understand why that it's all right. they think it's all right to desecrate that. They'll never understand why that, that is a sacred and holy revelation about God and his very image when you tamper with this institution called marriage. They'll never understand it because it's a revelation. Everybody say, it's a revelation. Male and female attributes married together create God's image. Male and female attributes molded into children and modeled for children creates God's godly children. So the image of God can be carried on for many generations. So we need to have an influence of a mother. We need to have the influence of a father and brought together in the image of God. And when you bring a godly mother and a godly father together in godly marriage, you'll produce godly children. And the image of God can go on from generation to generation. And it can continue on to give the image of God in the world today. But there is a generation right now that's wanting to stop it so the next generation does not recognize marriage so they can shut down the image of God in our society today. It's generational. Turn to the book of Proverbs with me quickly. We're going to look at some things, how the wisest man in the world tells us that it's a a synthesis of a male and a female's influence that is what children need to make a success in life. Proverbs 1.8, and there's so much material on this today, and even in the secular realm, that tells us success doesn't come from being on the right side of town. It's not a result of having the right colored skin. It's not a result of having the right amount of money, the right friends, the right education. Success in this life comes from having the concept of marriage right. You can come from poor. You can come from uh, any type of nationality, ethnicity. You can come from uneducated. But success is a result, and even the secularists and the Harvard uh, 
professors are finding out today that success comes from coming from an intact traditional family where there's a mother and there's a father. We'll talk more about that later. Proverbs 1.8, look what it says. The fear, excuse me, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother. You got to have the influence of the God side that is like a male and you need the influence of the God side that is like a female to be a balanced reflection of God's image. Can I get an amen? If you don't understand that, and you don't understand marriage. Proverbs 4 says it like this, verses 1 through 3. Hear ye, children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. So there's the influence of father and mother, the synthesis of both genders to create a godly, balanced offspring. Proverbs 10.1. I mean, I could go on and on with this out of the book of Proverbs, but we'll just hit a few of them. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son maketh a glad father, but a foolish son is the heaviness to his mother. It, it doesn't say uh, to his father and his other father, or his mother and his other mother. The balance of a father and a mother. Then in Proverbs 13.1, it extols uh, the virtues of father. A wise son heareth his father's instruction, but a scorner heareth not a rebuke. Wow. And we could go on and on. And there's many, a child left to itself will bring its mother to shame. There's scriptures in all throughout the book of Proverbs, which teaches us about child rearing, says there has to be the, really the influence of a mother and a father. Satan wants to stamp out the image of God, not only now, but generationally. The LBGT conference, completely against traditional marriage. Our governor has signed off his name on it as the governor's conference. Christians, we need to be doing something about marriage. The number two revelation of traditional marriage gives us the revelation of the fourfold commission on marriage as couples. There's a great commission in marriage. There's a great commission to go out and make spiritual sons and daughters. How many of you know the great commission in Mark 16, go into all the world, preach the gospel, every creature, he that believeth is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned, and these signs shall follow. In my name they shall cast out devils, they shall speak with Newton, so on and so forth. There's a great commission about going out and producing spiritual children. But there's a great commission on marriage. And let's go to Genesis again. Go back, go back from Proverbs. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's go on to that next verse. Verse 28. We just read, so God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he, him, male and female. That's the first revelation, is that marriage produces the image of God for society. Second, the great commission of marriage. There was a commission given fourfold, and the blessing was put upon them to carry out this commission. And I'm going to read to you in verse 28, we're in Genesis 1. And that second revelation of traditional marriage is the revelation of the fourfold commission of married couples. And if you will take hold of this commission, you'll see great blessings in your life. And God bless them, verse 28. Everybody's saying, God bless them. God doesn't bless the husband, and God doesn't bless the wife. 
God blesses the them. It isn't like he blessed the husband. Oh, you husbands, you're going to get this blessing. And oh, you wives are going to get this blessing. No, he says he blessed a them, a union, a joining, an image of God, a rib reunited with an Adam. The Bible says in 1 Peter, the third chapter, it says if you don't get along with your husbands and wives, if you don't get along and walk in love, if you have strife and you don't have a wife submitting and a husband uh, relating in love in the right way, he says your prayers will be hindered. So when you don't walk well in traditional marriage, the Bible says your prayers will be hindered. But it says if you will be a godly couple and come together, it says God blessed them. Ever say God blesses marriage. God, when he said that God blessed them, he was talking about Adam, and he was talking about Eve. He was not talking about Adam and Steve. He blessed them. Who? Adam and Eve, male and female, image of God. The image of God has blessing on it. Can I get an amen? He blessed them. And God said unto them, be fruitful. Here's the first of the fourfold commission. We are commanded to be fruitful, but today in America, we're only having 1.75 children. Well, the Muslims are having 8.25. And they understand their great commission to take over the world. And they take it seriously. And they've got enough sense to know that they're going to have to multiply. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes, too. And they're carrying their commission much more rapidly in many places than we are because they actually are lining up more with these words than we are. We're going to talk about that. But you see that fruitfulness. God said unto them, be fruitful. And we're just going to take that first one, fruitfulness. That second revelation, that Eden blessing, that marriage commission for marriage people to be blessed by doing these things and going out and being fruitful. Fruitful means this, to prosper in productiveness, or abounding in anything. I got that from the 1928 Webster's Dictionary. But to be fruitful is to prosper. See, in Genesis 128, God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful. And it takes a male and a female to be fruitful biologically. Can I get an amen? See, and really he's talking about two gardens there. How many of you know when he said be fruitful, there was really a parallel principle there. Because Adam was a farmer put into a garden and given a helper named Eve. And when you understand that, that he was a farmer, for God to tell them to be fruitful, it wasn't just about having children. It was about being fruitful in endeavors. Can I get an amen? So he said, be fruitful And we see two gardens. See, really, God gave Adam a seed, the seed of his word. How many remember when God spoke to Adam? We're in Genesis 2.16, and God said unto Adam, in 15, he says, go into the garden and keep it and dress it. In other words, you need to farm it and protect it. And that was his garden. And take of the seed of all these things of like seed and put the seed in the ground, he told him to take the physical seed 
put it into the physical ground and produce physical crops. And then he gave him a spiritual seed. And he says, now, I'm going to tell you, out of all these wonderful fruit-producing plants and trees you can eat of, but now I'm going to give you a spiritual seed. How many of you know the word of God is called a seed? Being born not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, even as the word of God which liveth and abideth forever. First Peter 1.23 says, and we can see that he gives him a seed. And this seed was information. This seed was wisdom. This seed was the plan of God. And he says, but as you eat of all these other trees, do not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I'm going to give you a helpmate now. And God spoke to Adam, and he did not speak to Eve. Very important thing to understand. He gave the garden to Adam and told him to dress that garden, but he did not give Eve the garden and tell her to do it. What does that have any bearing on, Pastor Bill? Because he called Eve to be a helpmate. And even as the soil is a helpmate to the seed to reproduce plants, so is the wife the helpmate to the husband who's been given the word. The very soil to reproduce spiritual offspring and physical offspring. In other words, we've got a man. His name's Adam. And God says, here's some seed, here's some ground. Put the seed in the ground, and the, between the seed and the ground, you'll produce and be fruitful. Now he says, now I'm going to give you, here's a man, and I'm giving you seed of my word. Don't eat of the tree. And I'm going to give you a wife who is like the ground, who's the helpmate. And take this seed, don't eat of the tree, and sow it into your wife, who is the ground. We're called his husbandry. The Bible says that we are, you know, the one who receives the word. We're so, how many of you know, even in Mark 4, there's four different soil types that are examined, and we're likened to the soil. And he says, here, I'm giving you a helpmate, this woman, and I'm asking you to take this seed, because I spoke to you, I didn't speak to her, but if she's going to be your helpmate, you're going to have to speak the same word to her, don't eat of the tree. You see, fruitfulness comes when a husband knows how to hear God's word, knows how to put it into his wife's life, and then produce godly children as a result. Can I get an amen? Because a husband should be teaching his wife the word. And then she becomes a helpmate. And then they produce godly, fruitful, godly seed that are in the image of God. Very profound, very interesting thing. And, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's the natural garden. Psalms 128, turn there with me quickly. Because we are likened to, as our families are gardens. And we've got to sow into them. Psalms 128, I'm going to read there. And we're going to see some very profound truths. 128, 1 through 3, and it says this, Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord and walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat of the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine. Everybody say, my wife shall be as a fruitful vine. Amen. By the sides of thine house, and thy children are like olive plants round about thy table. Your wife helps you to be fruitful in everything. And we've got to understand that, that our family is like a garden. Psalms 127.3, look what it says here. Psalms 127.3 says, Lo, children are a heritage of the Lord, 
And the fruit of the womb is his reward. Everybody say, our children are fruit. We've got to understand that when we're given that great commission to be fruitful, it's talking about not only our families, but it's talking about the word of God and being fruitful and being a success. You know, it's not good enough because we're going to go on to the next one. He said, be fruitful and multiply. It's not good enough just to multiply. How many of you know the Muslims are multiplying? Way more than we are. It's not, you know, neither, you know, just fruitfulness or multiplying can come from same-sex marriage. Only traditional marriage can produce fruitfulness because it has the influence of a mother and a father. Oh, you can produce multiplication. Any two dogs can reproduce and produce multiplication. Any two wicked people can multiply. But it's different to be fruitful and multiply. Let me show you the difference between just multiplying and being fruitful multiplying. You've heard this many times. I've read this so many times because it's so incredibly good. And we're going to show you a family that just multiplied let me show you a family that was fruitful and multiplied. Two families from the state of New York were studied very carefully. One was the Max Jukes family, and the other was the Jonathan Edwards family. The thing that they discovered in this study is remarkable. Like begets like. Max Jukes was an unbelieving man, and he married a woman of like character who lacked principle. And among the known descendants, over 1,200 were studied. Wow, that's a lot of descendants. 310 became professional vagrants. 440 physically wrecked their lives by debauched lifestyles. 130 were sent to the pen for an average of 13 years each, seven of them for murder. There were over 100 who became alcoholics, 60 became habitual thieves, 190 public prostitutes. Of the 20 who learned to trade, 10 of them learned to trade in state prison. It cost the state about $1.5 million, and they made no contributions to society. How many of you say they multiplied? They understood multiply to the tune of 1,200 descendants. But see, the Bible says be fruitful and multiply. Fruitful is to be productive and abounding in good. In about the same era, the family of Jonathan Edwards came on the scene. And Jonathan Edwards, a man of God, married a woman of like character. And their family began, and they became a part of this study that was made. 300 became clergymen, missionaries, and theological professors. Over 100 of them became college professors. Over 100 became attorneys. 300 I don't know if that was to their, well, we won't go there. And became attorneys, 30 of them judges, 60 of them became physicians, over 60 became authors of good classics, good books, 14 became presidents of universities. There were numerous giants in American industry that emerged from this family. Three became United States congressmen, and one became president of the United States. Be fruitful. Godly marriage and only godly marriage can make your multiplication of offspring fruitful. Epigenetics, 
when you look at human DNA and genetic code, I learned this just this week. Epigenetics is a word that tells us about how on the DNA chain that evil behaviors and behaviors can change your genetics. It doesn't inherently change the code, but it attaches itself to genetics that brings about negative effects. And it just so happens that those negative effects last from three to four generations is what the scientific world tells us. Dr. Mark could probably explain to you a lot more about epigenetics than I can. But epigenetics don't change because our genetic code has a propensity to reproduce itself precisely. But epigenetics is when behaviors add things, I don't know if it's molecules or what, gets added to the chain of the DNA and gets it to produce aberrant and odd and negative and bad and unhealthy things that last for as long as three and four generations. We all know the Bible talks about the sins of the fathers, bringing a curse on the children to the third and the fourth generation. In other words, the wrong behaviors of the parents affecting the kids for three and four generations, even to the core of their DNA. Behavior does affect. And fruitfulness comes from right behavior by viewing the image of God, the image of God that is represented in one man and one woman. In other words, let me distill it down for you. When you don't have a mother and a father teaching the children, you're going to have a cursed nation. Science says that, not just the Bible. Can I get an amen, somebody? We've got to understand that if we don't walk in these things, fruitfulness or multiplying can come, uh, cannot come from same-sex marriage. Malachi 1.15, the Bible says God desires godly seed. Godly seed comes from being raised by godly parents. Godly parents are the image of God through a respective male and a respective female, creating the image of God so they can display and create godly children because God desires godly seed, it says in Malachi 1.15. In other words, he desires us to have the type of marriages that can only be created where there is one half of God there demonstrating the male side and the other half of God there demonstrating the female side. Can I get an amen? We've got to understand this. Fruitful and multiply are slightly different. Fruitful speaks to the prosperous, qualitative side of having children. Multiplying speaks just distinctly to the numerical side of having children. Muslims understand this in their commission and how it relates to their greater commission of conquest. On average, Christians today only have 1.75 kids. On an average today, Muslims have 8.2 kids. Wow. Their great commission they take serious. Christians don't. We have this great commission in Genesis 1.28 to go and be fruitful and to multiply. God desires a godly people. God wants us to multiply, to be salt and light in the world today. If we don't, others will multiply and they will take our place because they will have more speaking their message than we will ours. Let me go to the next one. We're running out of time. 
God wants us to fill the earth. And you know, if, if we accept same-sex marriage, how many of you know we can't fulfill the earth? We can't fill the earth. But you know who will fill the earth? Muslims. But if we accept same-sex marriage in America, and we start saying, because you know, it always will get into the church. And then, as same-sex marriage, you can't have children. It's biologically impossible to have children between a woman and a woman, a man and a man. And then we start losing the commission. The greater purpose for our existence is that we are to please God. We were created for his good pleasure. We were created to be his children. And then when we sinned and we got recreated, we were, for his good pleasure, to reproduce spiritual children and fill the earth. Why do you think God said to Abraham, that your children will be as the stars of the sky. Your children will be as the sands of the sea. And it says, out of your loins will come kings, and out of your loins will come many thousands to inhabit the earth, because God wants to fill his world with godly people that are his family in the image of God. Can I get an amen? See, we've lost that. We've become selfish. Well, it's all about me, you know. I'll have one kid, maybe, and... You know, because I don't want to be bothered with kids. Because after all, marriage is all about my sexual uh, fulfillment. It's not about producing godly children for God. To fill his earth. To live with him for eternity. For him to have a people that he loves. See, we've so reduced marriage. And we've so dumbed down marriage. And we've so secularized marriage. That we don't understand what the real purposes really are. Somebody say amen. I liked it up to this point, Pastor Bill. This is where I get up. I don't know if I... The next one is subdue. He blessed them and he said, be fruitful. He said, multiply and subdue. Wow. Subdue. Psalms 127, 3 through 5. I'm going to go back over there to Psalms. We're going to look at something it says there in Psalms. Very interesting. It says in Psalms 127, and it talks about that low children are a heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is your reward. Then in the last verse, it says, Happy is the man who hath his quiver full. Everybody say, Happy is the man who has his quiver full of children. And you know, because when you start quivering, you know you have enough children. They just kind of misspelled some things in there. See, I knew I had enough kids when I started quivering. I had a tick. I'm quivering. I'm shaking. I think that's enough, Lord. This far and no more. Happy is the man that his quiver is full of them. See, he doesn't give an exact number. It's however many you are capable of handling. Some people have higher capacity. Some people have a greater grace to have a lot of kids than others. But we should be having as many as we can have for the Lord. Can I get an amen? Happy is the man who hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Well, that word speak with the enemies in the gate, if you go back to the Hebrew, that word actually means to, dis- to subdue the enemies. In other words, he's saying, have a lot of kids so that you can subdue the enemy. Everybody say it with me. Have a lot of kids so that you can subdue the enemy. That's what he's saying there. 
It says, blessed is the man who's grateful because they'll, they'll go to the gate. And that the gate could mean the gate of your house. It could be the gate of public policy. It could be the gate of a lot of things, of the spiritual arena of protection around your home. You know, in Judges it says, they chose new gods, and then the enemy was inside the gate. It says, and there was no sword or spear to be found in all of Israel. In other words, then there was no defense against the enemy. If the enemy gets inside your gate of your home, you got trouble in River City. The enemy has gotten inside the gate of our public policy and of our nation, and we've got trouble in America. The enemy has gotten inside the gate of our definition of marriage, and is just about ready to take it out if we don't pray and do something. When the enemy gets inside the gate, we've got problems. But the Bible says the answer to that is, blessed is the man whose quiver is filled. Blessed is the man whose children will go and subdue at the gate. Blessed is the church who have many spiritual children who will subdue at the gate. Blessed is the biological family who have many children who will subdue the enemies at our gates. See, God has children, and he's calling us to subdue our enemy at the gate before they get inside. We should be doing this. Marriage has a commission to multiply and subdue. Marriage has that commission the children of Israel were called to multiply and to subdue. Marriage has a commission, and we are to subdue demons and sickness. I mean, the Great Commission, we are called to go into all the world preach the gospel and to cast out devils. That's subduing. Everybody say subduing. Lay hands on the sick and see them recover. Everybody say that's subduing. See, we're subduing enemies. Sickness is an enemy that needs to be subdued. Demons are an enemy that need to be subdued. The Great Commission is talking about producing spiritual offspring so that we can go out and we can sub- subdue. Marriage has a commission to subdue. Same-sex marriage doesn't do that. Well, does being married really cause you to be able to subdue, Pastor Bill? Well, you know, I'll tell you what. The children of Israel will go out to subdue their giants and take the promised land. See, if you don't subdue the giants, how many know the children of Israel were given the promised land? And then they were commissioned to go kill the giants and take the walled city-states. And because they didn't subdue the giants, they didn't take dominion over the land. If we don't subdue, we'll we'll have no dominion. If you don't subdue a demon and cast him out, he will have dominion over you and your children instead of you having dominion over him. Can I get an amen? You need to subdue the enemies in the gates. Today, Harvard study, and this is an older one. This is a, this is a Harvard study that's at least 15 years old, but I often quote it. Harvard study of subduing business. There was a Harvard study of the 500 top executives in America, the most successful CEOs in America. And they were trying to figure out what caused their success. So they looked at their education. They found out there were guys that didn't have it, had eighth grade educations. There were guys who had PhDs and everything in between. And there was no correlation. They looked at these 500 most successful executives. And they said, well, maybe it's not education. Maybe it's that they came from a rich, prosperous family that taught them how to be successful. 
And they went in and they studied them and they found out that no. Some of these guys came from really poor homes, really dysfunctional. Some of them came from really well have it together type of homes with lots of money, lots of success. But there's no correlation. Wow. Well, maybe they came from a good neighborhood and and, 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 and they, they, they exhausted that, no correlation. Then, and, they, and they kept looking for what caused these guys to be the cream of the crop. What caused them to be better than the rest? What caused them to be such incredible successes? And then they finally came and said, well, let's check out their marriage status. Let's see if they are single. Let's see if they're divorced. Let's see if, they're, if they've been married to the same woman for a lot of years. And what they found out is virtually every one of them had a great, long-lasting, intact, traditional marriage. And he blessed them. And he said, be fruitful. Multiply. And subdue. See, the revelations of marriage is... It's marriage that makes you a success in life. After becoming a Christian and knowing Jesus Christ, one of the most important things that you'll ever have is to understand marriage. Now, if any of you have had a failed marriage, feel no condemnation because God is the God of the second chance. Can I get an amen? But get your marriages right. Understand that it is the foundation from which many other things emanate from. Hold it as sacred. Do not let it be compromised. Fight with all that's in you to save it for your next children's generation. We have to fight this fight like nothing we've ever fought for before. That and religious liberty. Rick Santorum went to Yale University. Did their, what they call, their union devotional. They meet at the union and they have a devotional. The most people that ever showed up at that union devotional was 600 people. When Rick Santorum, who, and I think, wait a minute, Yale is as liberal as they come. Rick Santorum is about as absolutely conservative, right-wing, evangelical as they come. And the most they ever had at Yale Union devotional is 600 people. The day that Rick Santorum came, they had 2,600 people. Young people, because they knew he was talking about marriage. Young people are seeking to understand marriage. And when he got done talking about that the studies that have been done, a study by a Mr. Putman, who is a Harvard professor who wrote a book, a very liberal Harvard professor, and a man by the name of Warren, who is a strong libertarian who does not agree with us on social issues, both concluded in their books, which Rick Santorum quoted out of, that it's not the color of a man's skin that determines whether you have prosperity or poverty. It's not where you live. It's not your education. But it is whether you came from a traditional family and even if you came from a neighborhood full of people who were traditional family and marriages, that you would be many, 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 many more times likely to be a success in life than if you did not come 
from a traditional marriage. In other words, it's not all these other things that academia is saying is disadvantaging people. Oh, it's because they came from this neighborhood or they don't have this money or, or they came and, and they're this minority or this or then they're that and then that. It's none of that. It's whether you came from a home where there's a mother and a father. And even the liberals at Harvard are saying it in their books. Even the libertarians who believe in free sex and, and marijuana and, live, and let live any way you feel like it are saying it. Because you can't deny truth. Marriage reveals the path of prosperity and success. Can I get an amen? Subduing. And gay relationships are filled. It's not a lifestyle, it's a death style. The propensity for physical disease is far higher. The propensity for mental disorder is much higher. The propensity for domestic abuse is much higher. The propensity for child abuse and child molestation is much higher. Hundreds of partners, unfulfilled, early death, hate, isolation, are all things that are prevalent in the non-traditional marriage Lifestyles. Can I get an amen? It's a fact. I'm, I'm here to tell you today that there is one way that, is a, that works, and that is one man and one woman. Let's go to the last one. Take dominion. Sorry, we didn't know we were going this late. Those who are fruitful and prosper, multiplying and subduing, take dominion. Did you know... In the USA, after World War II, we subdued Hitler, and our dominion globally throughout the world grew. You have to subdue the enemy before you can take dominion of the land. Ever say, we have to subdue the enemy before we can take dominion of the land. You got to kill the giants before you go in the promised land. You got to stop the enemy in policy before you can affect the nation. The su- the subduing of the enemy is in public policy this week. We've got to subdue that enemy or we'll no longer take the land. Make no mistake, our enemies know what they're doing and they're moving very rapidly to take and subdue us so they can take dominion over this, over this land. When we begin to understand that, the Muslims understand that you've got to subdue the enemy and take dominion. ISIS is subduing nations and taking dominion over them. 14th chapter, the story of Sodom, the story of Abraham. Sodom, a place of homosexuality. There are no marriages left virtually in that city. 14 chapters tells us the story of Sodom. The place that God destroyed for the homosexuality that existed there. But before that happened, Abraham prayed for them that God's mercy would come. But they were subdued. Let me tell you today, where there is not traditional marriage, the enemy can begin to subdue and take dominion over your life. Sodom, a place of no traditional marriage. They were subdued by five invading kings. They kidnapped Lot. They took the women and the children. 
They took all the gold and the silver and the valued goods. And Sodom and Gomorrah became subdued. And the five enemy kings moved in and took dominion. They had no defense against their enemies. But then there was a guy who believed in traditional marriage. His name was Abraham. And Abraham had 300 soldiers already trained. And Abraham came in and subdued the five kings and ran them off and took back the property and regained the dominion for them. Boy, can you see any parallels? In the place where there is no traditional marriage, there is no defense against the enemies. There was no traditional marriage in Sodom, folks. And they had no way to subdue, but they were subdued. They didn't go out and subdue and take dominion. They were subdued, and they had taken away from them their dominion. That should scare you today. That should scare you. Because you know what? If we become a nation where we don't hold a traditional marriage, someone's going to come in and subdue us and take our domain. Because the commission of marriage is to be fruitful, to multiply, to subdue the giants, subdue the policies, subdue the enemies at the gate, and then go in and take the dominion. And Abraham is the picture of the antithesis of Sodom. Abraham's the guy that shouldn't have been able to have kids, but God said we'll have more kids than anybody's ever had. More than the stars of the sky. More than the sands of the sea. And he even named him father of many nations. He's Mr. Traditional Marriage in Chief. And he goes in and takes back the dominion because he knew how to go in and subdue the enemy. A picture for us to understand what it means to go in and take dominion of our enemies. They first have to be subdued. And it should be a lesson to us that where there is no traditional marriage, there is no ability to subdue, only be subdued. There is no ability to take dominion, but to have dominion taken from us.